Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. First John 4, verse 7. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. You can read whatever translation you want. Uh, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Lord, would you add your blessing, your anointing, your, um, your, your supernatural illumination to your word. Lord, that we would, we would not just see it and comprehend it, and understand it, but Lord, that we would accept it as your word, and we would change our lives accordingly. Lord, help us not to be just hearers of your word today, but doers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you might have figured out from last week's um, last week's message, the, the Pentecost message, that I really sense God is drawing us to the topic of His love. Uh, I'm, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to retroactively declare that last week's message was the first in a series uh, on the love of God that I have cleverly, cleverly named the Love of God series. Um, I, I've got to be honest, I, I'm not sure I've ever been more overwhelmed um, or intimidated by any other subject for a series. Uh, about the middle of the week, after several days of research and study and prayer, my brain was going 100 miles an hour in a whole bunch of different directions. Um, I think it's because our opening scripture says that God is love. So preaching a series about love is like saying you're going to preach a series about God. I mean, like at some level, shouldn't all the series be about God? You know, uh, my former pastor, when I was leading worship for him, he, he would say, hey, sing that song about Jesus. Oh, that song. <laughs> like, shouldn't they all be about Jesus at some point? And so I just had to randomly pick a song until he said, yeah, that's the one. So, so don't miss the math on this. If every biblical topic is at its essence about God and God equals love, then every biblical topic or story or principle is at its essence also about love. And that's why it's so overwhelming. It's everywhere. 
God's love is part of everything. It's the underlying motivation for every action God takes and every decision God makes. It's the greatest theme of the Bible. And it's the one thing that sets our God apart from every other God that's ever been created by man. The the gods of other religions command that you love them and you offer sacrifices to them. But none of them teaches about a God who loves us so much that he would actually sacrifice himself for us. It's a completely unique and original paradigm. And it's one of the ways we know no man came up with this. So you can't understand the Bible if you don't understand God's love. Without love, the Bible is just poetry and prose. It's just law and literature. But with his love, his word is power and it's life. It's it's not a book of laws and limits. It's a book of love. It's a book of love. So today we're going to start... Uh, sorting through some of the major themes in the Word about the love of God. Uh, what I think and pray is going to happen is that we won't just start to intellectually understand love better, God's love, but that we will begin to operate out of that love. That the love of God will begin to saturate us like we talked about last week. It seemed logical. It seems logical to me to start at the beginning. And so the, today's message is, is called the foundation of love. The foundation of love. Three sort of big picture statements about love that I think are going to help us lay the foundation for understanding and, and most importantly implementing God's love in our lives. And so here's the, here's the first thing about God's love that we need to talk about today. God's love is an eternal fact. His love's an eternal fact. You ever wondered where love came from? You ever wondered when someone started to love someone else? Well, I can answer both of those questions for you from the Word. We already said that God is love, right? It's impossible to separate love from God. It's, it's His character and nature. Well, the first phrase in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, the first four words say what? In the beginning, God. What that tells you is in the beginning, in eternity past, there was love. You say, John, I don't know if that's what that means. You're telling me that God's love existed before the universe, before anything else existed. That's exactly what I'm telling you. And I want to show it to you in another place as well. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us. We're going to read that again. That's real easy to kind of breeze through when it's late at night and you're trying to get your chapter in. So let's slow down and make sure we understand what it said. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and faultless, without fault in his eyes. Not only did God's love exist in eternity past, It was already focused on you. A creation that had not yet been created. He loved what he had not even created yet. He loved humans before he created humans. Are y'all okay? I see little whiffs of smoke rising from some of your ears. He, He loved humans before 
He created humans, and he loved them so much, he had already determined a workaround for the sins of humans he hadn't created yet. (laughs) Do you understand? See, he said, I've chosen you to be faultless in Christ, holy and faultless in Christ. He loved, I I loved you, and I've chosen you to be faultless and holy. Do you understand how mind-blowing that is? Because he created mankind in the Garden of Eden. They were already holy and faultless. They already had an intimate relationship with God. Everything was already perfect. It was only because they chose to sin that Christ had to come and restore what had been lost. God had already conceived plan B before they had even screwed up plan A. That's the depth of his love. What I'm trying to get you to see today is that his love is a given. You can just assume his love because it's an indisputable and immutable eternal fact. That means it can't be argued with and it can't be changed. It's a spiritual law of nature. In the beginning, it existed. Nothing had happened yet and it existed. You hear what I'm saying? There was nobody to have done anything to earn it, and yet there it was, God's love. It's just a given. It's just an eternal fact. So, well, John, like, how much love was it? Was it like just a seed of love that grew? Did it start small and then? No. God is, isn't God perfect? Is God perfect? Do you know that part of the definition of perfect means it's complete? When something's perfect, it's not going to grow. It's done. It's, per- it's complete. It's fully matured. If he had love that needed to grow, then his love wouldn't have been complete. It would have been imperfect, and there's no imperfection in God. Everything about him is perfect and complete and, and God-sized. Let me show you two scriptures. Psalm 36 and 5. Your unfailing love, Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Now, I understand if you're into astronomy and you study stars and planets and the universe and things, you you understand that there is at some place, at some point, an outer edge of the universe. He's not saying, the psalmist is not saying that if you ever find the edge of the universe, then that's the limit of God's love. What he's saying is, the biggest thing that I can think of is the heavens, and whatever's beyond the clouds. So that's what I'm going to compare the love of God to. It's, it's unending. It's so vast, we can't even conceive of finding the limits of it. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul prayed that you may have the power, that all of us may have the power to understand, uh, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is. His love is vast. It's complete. It's always there. It's always been there. It always will be there. It it just is. It's an eternal spiritual fact. Now, here's the second thing. Uh, Not only is God's love eternal, but God's love is not earned. God's love's not earned. One of the things that I think 
people struggle with the most around this concept of, of God's love is that they assume that God's love, like everybody else's love we've seen on earth, has to be earned, that it's somehow transactional. If I give God a little something, he gives me a little something, and that's how that works. That, that's, that somehow the way we act either increases or decreases his love for us. That he loves us when we're good, and when we deserve it, and he hates us when we don't. Or at least loves us less. But what did the scripture say? His love didn't start in response to someone else's, someone else doing something. So it can't be diminished by someone not doing something. Or doing something wrong. God's love, if you want to put it in insurance terms, is a pre-existing condition. All right? It just is. So, so what does that mean to me like on a Tuesday morning? I mean, Sunday morning, I get it. I'm clearly excited about it. Maybe you're excited because I'm excited. But like Tuesday morning, why should I care? Why should I care about that on a Saturday night? Well, here's why. If if God in his love had already started making a, a path back to himself before Adam and Eve had even left, then you can rest assured that no matter what you've done, no matter how far off the path you've strayed, no matter how bad you've messed things up, that there exists a path back to the Father for you. That his love is going to make a way. That's how powerful his love is for you. And that's good news. I've heard so many people who've said, yeah, I think I've gone too far. Like, I think I found the end of it. I think I, I, I don't think he could still love me after what I've done. Well, let me show you this. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus. Like nothing. Ever. There there just isn't a place that you can go when you're outside the love of God. There's no place too far, no place too deep, no place too high. Remember, God is love. So wherever God is, his love's there too. So unless you can figure out a place that's outside God's jurisdiction, you're never going to be apart from his love. No matter what you've done, none of those things can separate you from God because his love doesn't depend on anything or anyone else. Remember, it just is. That's why preachers can stand in pulpits or preaching to people they may not know anything about, or they can sit face to face with people whose lives are in complete shambles and say with complete confidence, God loves you. God loves you. His love, this is why we can say that, because his love is for you, but it's not about you. His love's for you. It's just not about you. His love comes from his character, his nature, 
not from your ability to earn it. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. His love just is. It's an eternal fact. Being on this earth, it's hard for us to grasp that kind of love because we've never seen a love that's selfless and steady. One of the things we have to learn from God's love is that it comes from the character of the one who gives it, not the character of the one who receives it. We, we think of love as reactionary, right? We love you because you lovable, right? It's easier to love lovable people, isn't it? No? We, we think of it as reactionary, as, as transactional. It, that's worldly, carnal love. And that's not what God's called us to. That's not agape. That's not the divine kind of love that his word says we have to, we have to show. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. The people who were driving the nails in his hands and in his feet, he died for them. And he called on the Father to forgive them. The ones who mocked him in his deepest hour of pain and despair, he died for them. It was never about them. It was for them. It wasn't sourced in their kindness, in their respect, or in their likability. It wasn't sourced in their character. It was sourced in his. And that makes all the difference. Because how you treat somebody is a reflection of your character, not theirs. Say, John, we keep talking about love, and I just don't feel love for this person or that group. Did anybody ask you to feel anything? Love's an action, love's a choice, it's a decision. And it's the actions that you take as a result of your decision to love. It's a reflection of your character, not theirs. When you choose to love even when you're rejected, when you choose to love even when it's not reciprocated, when it's not acknowledged, when it's not even appreciated, that's when you show the love of Christ. You don't show the love of Christ when you give a grateful, hungry person a sandwich. Because that's satisfying to your flesh all by itself, right? You can write yourself as the hero of that story, can't you? feels good to help people who like to be helped. So that's cool. That's not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is when you offer a sandwich to somebody who's obviously hungry and they snatch it out of your hand. Or they take and throw it back at you and cuss you out for trying to offer it to them. (laughs) That's the love of Christ. When you don't quit and walk away talking about how ungrateful these people are. Right? Y'all been there and done that? Well, I think if I was in their case, well, you're not in their shoes. So quit. And it's not even about that anyway. You there to share the love of Christ? Are you there to have somebody pat you on the back and tell them you, you're there, your hero? You're their hero. That's the love of Christ. When you extend it, when they bite your hand off. His love is eternal. It existed before we did. Before we ever took a breath, 
much less did a good deed or had a good attitude. Real love, God's love, existed. And it's not earned, it's given. Okay, can we do this one more? We get one more? (laughs) God's love is an equalizer. It's an equalizer. The world's definition of love is really shallow, pretty thin. It's feelings-focused. It's self-centered. People tend to have one of two opposite extremes, uh, extreme views of themselves. Either they see themselves as utterly without value and not worthy of love, or they see themselves as deserving of whatever they want, desire, or lust after. So it's kind of either self-loathing or self-indulgence. When a person sees themselves as unworthy of love, it's always based on an understanding that love is earned. And, and with that understanding, they, say, they decide that they haven't done enough good things to have earned the right to be loved. And that's a sad, that's a sad situation for a person to exist in. But what's the reality of God's love? It is pre-existent. It's a spiritual law. It's a given. You get God's love not based on what you've done or who you are, but on the fact that God has chosen to love you. Period. You're loved. And it's the fact that God loves you that gives you value and gives you worth. It's, his love isn't something to be earned It's not a level to achieve. It's the foundation upon which you build everything else in your your life. Because the foundation of God's love is never, ever, ever going to change. So no, no matter how intelligent you are or are not, no matter how many or which sins you've committed, no matter what your level of education or your social status, no matter where you live, what you drive, how you smell, what you've got or don't got, where you've been or haven't been, you are loved and valued by the Almighty God. His love is for you, but it's not about you. It's about Him and His character. So you can rest assured on the love of the Father for you. On the other hand, those who often claim they understand self-love clearly don't, or at least usually. For them, love is license. It's it's self-indulgence. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it because I love myself. I deserve it. But the conclusion that they deserve it isn't based on any objective standard. They just decided they deserved it. And so they allow themselves to do whatever they want, whether it's good for them or not. It's not love. It's license. It's more, it's more pride and self-righteousness than anything. You've, what you do when you do that is you've made yourself the arbiter of right and wrong, of good and evil. If you like it and want it, then it must be right and good. If you don't, then it must be wrong and evil. Quite honestly, that concept is more aligned with Satanism than with Christianity. The reality is, the only healthy way to love yourself is to understand that everyone has the same value. 
Because it comes from the same objective source. God loves you. Period. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But you also can't lose it. And you don't have to work for it. It just is. It's not greater for some people than others. God's love is the great equalizer. And that knowledge changes how you see everything and everybody. It changes how you see what Jesus did for us on the cross. Some don't come to Jesus because they don't feel worthy and are afraid that he won't love them. He'll reject them because of how dirty they were. Listen, he already knows what you did and where you've been. He already knows, and he, he, he knew it from the beginning. And he already loves you anyway. He wants you to come to him. Others who are full of self-love, they don't come because they don't think they need it. You ever heard of those people? Talk to those people. I don't need to repent. What I got to repent for? I'm fine. Me and God, we got our own thing going. Really? How you get that? How is it you figured out a way to be forgiven of your sins and in right relationship with God when he couldn't figure out another way but to send his son to die for you? If you're caught up in self-righteousness and you think God loves you because of how awesome you are, let me clarify this for you. If God doesn't love the worst and the vilest sinner you can think of, then there's no hope for you either. Because what's as clear in Scripture as the love of God is the complete and utter inability of humans to be righteous on their own. You can't do it on your own, no matter how awesome you are. If, if God's love doesn't dip down to get the lowest of sinners, there's no hope for any of us. Because we're all guilty of violating God's law and his holiness. None of us is holy. None of us is righteous. Not even one. So if there's nothing anybody can do to make God love them less, there's also nothing anybody can do to make them love him more. The truth about God's equalizing love shows the self-righteous, I'm valuable, but I'm no more valuable than anybody else. And only in the context of his love do I have any value. I have to repent of my sins just like everybody else. I'm as guilty as everybody else. The old song says the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? It's true. Do you know why it's level at the foot of the cross? Because his eternal, unearned, equalizing love is what made it that way. Now you know why God hates it when we mistreat each other. Right? Now you know why God hates injustice. Why he hates racism and sexism and all the other isms. Why he hates it when we fight. Do you like watching your kids fight? If you do, you shouldn't be a parent. And if you, if you are a parent, you're not a good one. Right? No, no parent likes to see their kids fight. Why? Because there's, you can't choose a side. You love both of them equally. So no matter who wins, somebody you love loses. And you don't like what the fight makes them become in the process. 
That's why God hates it when we ignore the needs of other human beings. Why he hates it when we accept some people and reject other people based on some arbitrary decision of ours. The word makes it clear that God loves the outcast and the widow and the orphan and the one for whom the system doesn't work. He loves the sick and the poor and the needy and the uneducated and the imprisoned and the immigrant and the homeless, the deceived, the enslaved, the oppressed, red, yellow, black, white, Male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, all people everywhere precious in his sight. Everybody. You're like, but that won't, no, not even them. Stop it. But he also loves the arrogant and the arsonist. Loves the murderer. And the crook, the pimp, and the power-hungry businessman who curses the very thought of God. He loves the drug dealer as much as the drug addict. He loves politicians on both sides of the aisle. And that takes God. <laughs> Every human being regardless of how they turned out. He loves them. Not because they deserve it, because God is love. And guess what? We are conduits of God's love on this earth. You can't say, well, God might love them, but it doesn't mean I have to. Yes, it does, genius. If you're... i got to calm down. <laughs> you, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, it does. We're Christ's ambassadors. We've been dispatched from the homeland, and we have to love what he loves and who he loves. Nobody is exempt from God's love. There's nobody we get to skip. We're called to love everybody. Love doesn't mean you endorse every idea that person ever had or everything that person believes in. Love doesn't mean we like the way they live or the choices they make. Christians can hate abortion but also hate the loss of life when some idiot bombs an abortion clinic. Christians can vote and campaign for, official, for political officials and still hate the, the immature and childish name-calling and hate-filled personal attacks against even their opponent. You can love a life without loving a lifestyle. But nobody gets exempt from being treated like a human being that God intentionally created and deeply loves. Nobody. Now listen... Don't misunderstand. Just because everybody's loved doesn't mean everybody's saved. Y'all did hear all that, right? His love is what provided the way of salvation. But people still have to follow the way and allow the Spirit to conform them to the image of Christ. But, but God's love is the prerequisite for sharing God's truth. 
you don't get to just grab the rules and run in like a referee. If it's not rooted in his love, it's not going to come out right. If it was written in love, but you don't communicate it in love, just be quiet. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13 said last week? If we, if we speak with the tongues of men and angels, but we don't have love, then we're nothing. The, prere- the prerequisite for sharing God's love, uh, or sharing God's truth is love. We only share the truth in love. That's the only way transformation happens. I heard, uh, I was watching, Valerie and I watching a documentary this weekend that had to do with some, with some church somewhere, and somebody said, all offended, well, you, you say you love me as I am, but you want me to change. Yes. Yes, we want you to change. All of you, starting here and going everywhere. That's the whole purpose. If we didn't need to change, Jesus didn't need to come. But why listen to someone who doesn't love you and doesn't have your best interest at heart? You're never going to hate me into the kingdom. If I know you love me as I am, I can listen to you as you share transforming truth from the word of God that challenged me to change and challenged me to align myself with the truth. And when we do that, we realize we all need to change. Every one of us. So just like he loves everybody and shines the light of truth on everybody, he calls us to love everybody and shine his truth on everybody. And that's the good news. Because if his love doesn't extend to everybody, how can you be sure it'll make it all the way to you? So I say, thank you, Jesus, for loving everybody because that way I know you love me too. God's love is eternal. It's been solid as a rock since eternity passed. Before a star ever appeared in the sky, before a planet ever existed, there was his love. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't lose it. it just is. And he doesn't, he doesn't, it doesn't just open the door to everybody. It levels the ground for everybody. We're all equally guilty but we're all equally loved. So the best way to respond to God's love is to receive what his love provided for us, which is the opportunity to join the family. First John said, or not first John, John 1 says to everyone who believes and accepts Jesus, he gives them the right to become children of God. You can be adopted into this crazy family. You want to say thank you to God for loving you? So maybe some of you are sitting here and you're just like, cool, like God loves me. That's awesome. I'm still going to go out and do my thing. If you want to say thanks to God for loving you, then accept what Jesus did on the cross for you and join his family. You want to say thanks to God for loving you? Then love others the way Jesus loved you.
Won't you stand with me, please? I have no idea. You know, I never really never know how long a series is going to last. Um, but this is foundational to everything that we know, everything that we believe. If you're a, if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then then understanding and applying His love that can't be overstated in your life. So we have a couple of resources here. If you'd like to read, or if you like, I hate reading, but I'll listen to it on audiobook, that's cool. We've got a couple of resources here, and we've got like two copies of each, and, and we'll be happy to share those with you if you want to sign them out. Um, like, if you ain't going to read them in the next six months, don't take it. If you just need something to collect dust on your nightstand, choose another book. Get one of my books, put it on, <laughs> put it on nightstand. It'll be fine. Collects dust, great. So don't, don't do that to this one. There's two books. One, one's from Francis Chan. It's called Crazy Love. I'm just telling you, you're going to think you ain't saved when you read it. So, I mean, if you ain't, get saved. And then the other one is Everybody Always. And you're going to think the guy is nuts until he slams you with a spiritual truth that you didn't see coming. So, how's that for setting up a book or two? Um, Everybody Always is by Bob Goff. And Crazy Love's from Francis Chan. Um, if, if you want to grab some, then, then that's fine. If not, if you want to download them uh, on your own device, you can certainly do that, okay? But here's the, here's the altar call. We got to love, y'all. We got to love everybody. Everybody. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are not making much of an impact in our culture. And it ain't because we don't talk about war enough, the culture wars, or whatever, whatever other way we've chosen to express it. We are not at war with any human being, y'all. Isn't that Ephesians 6? We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers that we can't see in the natural world. And our greatest weapon is love. So what about the sword of the Spirit? Well, who's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Didn't we already establish that? The Word of God is Jesus, and Jesus is love. So we gotta, we got we got to understand. So I want to encourage all of you, as we're going to sing a song, I'm going to invite everybody to the altar who wants to come and pray about anything you want to pray about. All right, there's no, there's no limit. You pray about what you want to. But I want you to take just a few minutes while we're doing this to really reflect and let the Holy Spirit speak to you about where you are on this, on this love of God in your life and how well you're doing at communicating his love before you communicate anything else. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for loving us enough to not leave us the way you found us, but always leading us higher and deeper in you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers. So Lord, I'm just going to speak as the pastor of this church. God, we need more and more and more of your love in our lives. I need you to baptize me, to saturate me in your love. Every other person under the sound of my voice, physically or electronically, everybody needs to be baptized in your love over and over and over every day. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. So Lord, help us to get this revelation of love 
and help us to live it out in our lives. God, if there's a single individual here today that doesn't know you, that's never surrendered themselves to you, has never received what love's greatest gift, which is the way you died for us on the cross for our sins, I pray that today they would respond, they would come, and they would ask how it is that they can be a part of this family. Lord, I just pray for every person who's coming with every other need, whatever it is that's going on in their lives, I pray, God, that you would just uh, wrap them up in your arms of love. And, Lord, that you, would, that you would answer their prayers, hear their cries. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.